Sophie's World by Josephine Gardner. The Natural Philosophers continued. Nothing can come from nothing. These three Malaysian philosophers believed in the existence of a single basic substance as the source of all things. But how can one substance suddenly change into something else? We can call this the problem of change. From about 500 BC, there was a group of philosophers in the Greek colony of Elay in southern Italy. These Elatics were interested in this question. The most important of these philosophers was Parmenides, c. 540 through 480 BC. Parmenides thought that everything that exists had always existed. This idea was not alien to the Greeks. They took it more or less for granted that everything that existed in the world was everlasting. Nothing can come out of nothing, thought Parmenides. And nothing that exists can become nothing. But Parmenides took the idea further. He thought that there was no such thing as actual change. Nothing could become anything other than it was. Parmenides realized, of course, that nature is in a constant state of flux. He perceived with his senses that things changed, but he could not、e、equate this. With what his reason told him, when forced to choose between either relying on his senses or his reason, he chose reason. You know the expression, "I'll believe it when I see it," but Parmenides didn't even believe when he saw them. He believed that our senses give us an incorrect picture of the world, a picture that does not tally with our reason. As a philosopher, he saw it as his task to expose all forms of perceptual illusion. This unshakable faith in human reason is called rationalism. A rationalist is someone who believes that human reason is the primary source of our knowledge of the world. All things flow. A contemporary of Parmenides was Heraclitus. Tus, C. 540 through 480 B.C., who was from Ephesus in Asia Minor. He thought that constant change or flow was, in fact, the most basic characteristic of nature. We could perhaps say that Heraclitus had more faith in what he could perceive than Parmenides. Then, everything flows," said Heraclitus. Everything is in constant flux and movement. Nothing is abiding. Therefore, we cannot step twice into the same river. When I step into the river for the second time, neither I nor the river are the same. Heraclitus pointed out that the world is characterized by opposites. If we were never ill, we would not know what it was be like to be well. If we were never knew hunger, we would not take. We would not take pleasure in being full. If there were never any war, we would never appreciate peace. And if there were no winter, we would never see the spring. Both good and bad have their inevitable place in the order of things. 
Heraclitus believed, without this constant interplay of opposites, the world would cease to exist. God is day and night, winter and summer, war and peace, hunger and satiety. He said, he used the term God, but he was clearly not referring to the gods of mythology. To Heraclitus, God, or the deity, was something that embraced the whole world. Indeed, God can be seen most clearly in this constant transformations and contrasts of nature. Instead of the term God, Heraclitus often used the Greek word logos, meaning reason. Although we humans do not always think alike or have the same degree of reason, Heraclitus believed that there must be a kind of universal reason guiding everything that happens in nature. This universal reason, or universal law, is something common to us all, and something that everybody is guided by. And yet most people live by their individual reason, thought Heraclitus. In general, he surprised his fellow being. The opinions of most people, he said, are like the playthings of infants. So, in the midst of all nature's constant flux and opposites, Heraclitus saw an entity or oneness. This something, which was the source of everything, he called God or Logos. Four basic elements. In one way, Parmenides and Heraclitus were the direct opposite of each other. Parmenides' reason made it clear that nothing could change. Heraclitus's sense perceptions made it equally clear that nature was in a constant state of change. Which of them is right? Should we let reason dictate or should we rely on our senses? Parmenides and Heraclitus say, both say two things. Parmenides says, that nothing can change, and that our sensory perceptions must therefore be unreliable. Heraclitus, on the other hand, says that everything changes, all things flow, and that our sensory perceptions are reliable. Philosophers could hardly disagree more to that, but who was right? It fell to Empedocles. C. 490-430 B.C., from Sicily to lead the way out of the tangle they have gotten themselves into. He thought they were both right in one of their assertions, but wrong in the other. Empedocles found that the cause of their basic disagreement was that both philosophers had assumed the presence of only one element. If this was true, the gap between them, what reason dictates and what we can see with our own eyes, would be unbridgeable. Water obviously cannot change into a fish or a butterfly. In fact, water cannot change. Pure water will continue to be pure water. So Parmenides was right in holding that nothing changes. But at the same time, Epidocles agreed with Heraclitus that we must trust the evidence of our senses. We must believe what we see, and what we see is precisely that nature changes. Empedocles concluded 
that it was the idea of a single basic substance that had to be rejected. Neither water nor air alone can change into a rosebush or a butterfly. A source of nature cannot possibly be one single element. Empedocles believed that all in all, nature consisted of four elements, or roots, as he termed them. These four roots were earth, air, fire, and water. All natural processes were due to the coming together and separating of these four elements. For all things were a mixture of earth, fire, air, and water, but in varying proportions. When a flower or an animal dies, he said, the four elements separate again. We can register these changes with the naked eye. But earth and air, fire and water remain everlasting, untouched by all the compounds in which they are part. So it is not correct to say that everything changes. Basically, nothing changes. What happens that the four elements are combined and separated, only to be combined again? We can make a comparison to painting. If a painter only has one color, red, for instance, he cannot paint green trees. But if he has yellow, red, blue, and black, he can paint in hundreds of different colors because he can mix them in varying proportions. An example from the kitchen illustrates the same thing. If I only have flour, I have to be a wizard to bake a cake. But if I have eggs, flour, milk, and sugar, then I can make any number of different cakes. It was not purely by chance that Empedocles chose air, earth, fire, and water as nature's roots. Other philosophers before him had tried to show that the primordial substance had to be either water, air, or fire. Thales and Anaximenes had pointed out that both water and air were essential elements in the physical world. The Greeks believed that air fire was also essential. They observed, for example, the importance of the sun to all living things, and they also knew that both animal and humans have body heat. Empedocles might have watched a piece of wood burning. Something disintegrates. We hear it crackle and sputter. That is water. Something goes up in smoke. That is air. The fire we can see. Something also remains when the fire is extinguished. That is the ashes, or earth. After Empedocles' clarification of nature's transformations as a combination and dissolution of the four roots, something still remained to be explained. What makes these elements combine so that new life can occur? And what makes of that mixture of, say, a flower dissolve again? Empedocles believed that there were two different forces at work in nature. He called them love and strife. Love binds things together, and strife separates them. He distinguishes between substance and force. This is worth noting. Even today, scientists distinguish between the elements and natural forces. Modern science holds that all natural processes can be explained as the interaction between different elements and various natural forces. Empedocles also raised the question of what happens when we perceive something. 
How can I see a flower, for example? What is it that happens? Have you ever thought about that, Sophie? And Badokos believe that the eye consists of only earth, air, fire, and water, just like everything else in nature. So the earth in my eye perceives what of the earth in my surroundings, and the air perceives what is of the air, and the fire perceives what is of fire, and the water what is of water. Had my eyes lacked any of these four substances, I would not have been able to see all of nature. Something of everything in everything. Anaxagoras. 500 through 428 BC was another philosopher that could not agree that one particular basic substance, water for instance, might be transformed into everything we see in the natural world. Nor could he accept that earth, air, fire, and water could be transformed into blood and bone. Anaxagoras held that nature is built up of an infinite number of minute particles invisible to the eye. Moreover, everything can be divided into even smaller parts, but even in the minutest parts, there are fragments of all other things. If skin and bone are not the transformation of something else, There must also be a skin and bone, he thought, in the milk we drink and in the food we eat. A couple of present-day explanations can perhaps illustrate Anaxagora's line of thinking. Modern laser technology can produce so-called holograms. If one of these holograms depicts a car, for example, and the hologram is fragmented, we will see a picture of the whole car even though we only have the part of the hologram that shows the bumper. This is because the whole subject is present in every tiny part. In a sense, our bodies are built up in the same way. If I loosen a skin cell from my finger, the nucleus will not contain only the characteristics on my skin. The same cell will also reveal what kind of eyes I have, the color of my hair, the number and types of my fingers, and so on. Every cell of the human body carries a blueprint of the way all other cells are constricted. So there is a something of everything in every single cell. The whole exists in every tiny part. Anagoras call these minuscule particles, which have something of everything in them, seeds. Remember that Empedocles thought that was love that joined the elements together in whole bodies. Anaxagoras imagined order as a kind of force, creating animals and humans, flowers and trees. He called this force of mind or intelligence nous. Anaxagoras is also interesting because he was the first philosopher we hear of in Athens. He was from Asia Minor, but he moved to Athens at the age of 40. He was later accused of Athenium and was ultimately forced to leave the city. Among other things, he said that the sun was not a god, but a red-hot stone, bigger than the entire Peloponnesian Palencia. 
Anaxagoras was generally very interested in astronomy. He believed that all heavenly bodies were made of the same substance of the earth. He reached the conclusion after studying a meteorite. This gave him the idea that there could be human life on other planets. He also pointed out that the moon has no light of its own. Its light comes from the earth, he said. He thought of an explanation for solar eclipses as well. P.S. Thank you for attention, Sophie. It's not unlikely that you will need to read this chapter two or three times before you understand it all. Understanding will always require some effort. You probably wouldn't admire a friend who is good at everything if it cost her no effort. The best solution to the question of basic substance and the transformation in nature must wait until tomorrow, when you will meet Democritus. I'll say no more. Sophie sat in the den, looking out into the garden through a little hole in the dense thicket. She had to try and sort out her thoughts after all she had read. It was clear as daylight that plain water could never turn into anything other than ice or steam. Water couldn't even turn into a watermelon, because even watermelons consisted more than just water. But she was only sure of that because that's what she had learned. Would she be absolutely certain, for example, that ice was only water if that wasn't what she had learned? At least she would have studied very closely how water froze to ice and melted again. Sophie tried once again to use her own common sense and not to think about what she had learned from others. Parmenides had refused to accept the idea of change in any form, and the more she thought about it, the more she was convinced that, in a way, he had been right. His intelligence could not accept that something could suddenly transform itself into something completely different. It must have taken quite a bit of courage to come right out and say it. Because it meant denying all natural changes that people see from themselves, lots of people must have laughed at him. And Epidocles must have been pretty smart too when he proved that the world had to consist of more than one single substance. That made all the transformations of nature possible, without any actually changing. The old Greek philosopher had found out that just by reasoning. Of course, he had studied nature, but he didn't have to do the equipment to do the chemical analysis the way scientists do nowadays. Sophie was not sure whether she really believed that the sources of everything were actually earth, air, fire, and water. But after all, what did it matter? In principle, Epidocles was right. The only way we can accept the transformations we see with our own eyes, without losing our reason. Is to admit the existence of more than one single basic substance. Sophie found philosophy doubly exciting because she was able to follow all the ideas by using her own common sense, without having to remember everything she had learned at school. She decided that philosophy was not something you can learn, but perhaps you can learn to think philosophically.